of family business to do before we get into the message this morning. Uh, a couple things. Um, if we get some ushers, I want to take up the least of this. Alright? Uh, this is the uh, fourth Sunday of the month, and on the fourth Sunday of the month, we like to take up an extra offering. We call it the least of these. It's our benevolence offering, and what we end up doing with that is 100% of the money that we're going to gather right now ends up uh, going into a little special fund at the church, and we receive nearly daily either phone calls or visits from, from people. You guys can go ahead and take that while I'm talking. We receive either phone calls or, or, or visits here at the church, uh, just people in the community, you know, a lot of single moms. You can't maybe make the rent that month and need a little help with the electric bill. Uh, I go grocery shopping for people probably on average twice a week. You know, being the pastor of the church doesn't mean you just go and talk. You have to go, you have to go grocery shopping. So that's why that's what we're taking up right now. Um, this is a really good work. Well, pretty much what we're trying to do with this money is we're trying to look for ways to be canvas uh, for his best friend. That's what I feel like. How can we be canvas for his best friend? This is one way. Also, um, Coming up on March 21, I know we've uh, I've talked about it a lot, but I want to continue to hold it out to the church. We're going to have, uh, we're taking up one offering on March 21st. It's going to be called the Big Gift. We're not taking up even a, a regular offering. We're just going to take up one. And the Big Gift is going to be uh, an offering that's set aside just to uh, pay down on our debt. We've got some debt as a church. That's not unusual. Uh, but God has been able to uh, graciously give us our building right now for a really great price. And what we want to do is we want to that sucker off just as soon as we can. You might be thinking, well, why do we want to pay it off as soon as we can? The reason we want to pay off our, our mortgage as soon as we can is because the sooner we get our mortgage paid off, the sooner that we can be free to add more staff, begin to open up new avenues of ministry. I mean, like one of the one of the next things we need to do here at the Vineyard is, is staff-oriented, and we can't make the staffing decisions that we need to make until we get this other thing set. You know what I mean? So we're just, March 21 is a way for us just to think into the future. If you feel like you're a part of the vineyard here, I want you to prayerfully consider how can we partner with the vineyard and then pay down that debt and then we'll smack it. You know, I'm hoping we can just drop a great big chunk on it and we're going to do this once a year in addition to our regular little mortgage payments. Family business. All right. Um, also, one more thing. Hey, Eric. Come on, come on. Everybody, everybody say hi to Eric. Hey. Eric has been with us for a couple years and if I understand this is your last Sunday, right? Okay, but we're winding down there, is that right? You're going up to where? Okay. Eric is an engineer type. He's a real brilliant guy. And his job is moving him on. He's been here with us for a couple of years. And before he leaves, we just want to get hands on the plane. Is that okay? So I'll tell you what, if you're uh, sitting in the seat, just you know, put your hand out. Let's just pray for Eric. Because he's, he's a good man. Father, thanks for Eric. Thanks for bringing him to the venue. Thanks for just tying our lives together. And Father, we ask that you would send them with the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would open up avenues in Pennsylvania. God, we ask that you would open up doorways of blessing at his new job. Father, I ask that you would give him favor and prosperity. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed, eh? So if you guys catch Eric in the next couple weeks, you need to do it because he's gone. No, 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 that is a All right, this is the second week of our message series on worship. Now we get lower. And we're in the middle of a six week message series on worship. This is week number two. 
And if you've got your Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to Psalm 100. I love Psalm 100. That's going to be our outline text this morning. four weeks after this one, six weeks total. It's been the next four weeks here, and we're going to be investigating worship, and, and really the thing I feel like from the Lord that we're supposed to do is, in this series, we're, we're, we're going to be redigging the fountains of worship at the vineyard. And the reason that we, I feel like we need to redig the fountains of worship at the vineyard is because our um, our church composition has changed. It's one, of the, it's one of the things about this particular church, is we're very transitional. Come and hang out with us for a while. And kind of like Eric, they're just along. They're university students. They hang out with us for four years, but they know they're gone. And so we just we have a we've got a we've got a back door that's nearly as big as our front door, and that's just always kind of way, the way it's been here. And because of that, our body composition has changed. And in doing so, there are people sitting in the seats. It might even be you who are here, and you may be unaware of, of some of the values and some of the core DNA and some of the core elements of what. Has, has made this church what it is. And, 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 and so what we want to do is for the next six weeks just begin to investigate those core elements, those core essential values that comprise the vineyard and, and, and perhaps uh, primary among them, right along with the presence of God, we've even got a banner for it back, is we just value worship. We want to, we want to redig the fountains of worship. We want to, we want to set that course again begin to uh, begin to investigate what it is that has actually brought us to the point that we're at right now. Alright? Before we get into Psalm 100, I'd like to put one thing out about the scriptures. This is really fun. Um, we've got a banner for worship in the back. And the reason we have a banner for it is because it's one of our it's one of our core essential values. But if you if you look through the scripture, you're going to find uh, Ray and I were talking about this this week. We, you're going to find that there's very little in the scriptures that instructs you on how to worship. You will find very little of do this and next do this and next do this. The closest thing you'll find is is the book of Leviticus. You know some of the some of the way that the law is written, some of the ceremonial things that that, 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 that the children of Israel did back before Jesus became our sufficient sacrifice. But in terms of how to relate to God and how to how to do it, you'll find very little. The Bible is is in, in, in many ways not an instruction manual for how to worship. And I, I found that very interesting. And one of the implications of that is, is this, that, that worship is such a fabric of the community and the people of God that it just goes as understood that we would be a worshiping people. And, and that we would be a people who worship very, uh, worship, that we would be a worshiping people and we would be a people who worship out of the, out of, the, uh, out of the context of relationship with Him. It would be a, just a natural context. It just, it just grows out of being around Him. You get around Him, and you get into worship. Um, some of you guys who have 
who have maybe studied the scriptures a little bit in your life, um, you probably know passages like Isaiah chapter 6. Anybody here remember Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6 is the passage where Isaiah gets called into the prophetic ministry. But as he's getting called into the prophetic ministry, what happens? He has a vision. And who does he see? He sees the Lord. And he sees him in his temple. And when he sees the Lord and he sees him in his temple, one of the first things that he sees is he sees the things that are happening around the Lord. And what is it that's happening around the Lord? Worship. See, here's the deal. When you see the Lord, what, it, what, that, what that fundamentally does is it draws you into worship. Everyone who sees the Lord gets drawn into worship. If you flip a few more pages to the back of the Bible, if you go to Revelation, and Revelation is actually a worship book in an indirect sort of way. You get these indirect glimpses of worship. Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. John the Revelator, he gets a picture into heaven. He gets a picture of the throne room of God. And he gets a picture of what's happening there and what's happening in the throne room. Well, it's worship. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's so cool because for me, there's not this list of, you know, do this and do this and the next do this. Rather, it's just the relationship that grows out of principally seeing God. If you see God, the most natural response is to worship Him. Everyone who sees Him worships Him. The people who see Him the most right now, at least in a, in a more direct sense, are, are, the, are the angels and the angelic hosts that live in heaven with them. And their natural response is worship. And so when we, when we begin to investigate the scriptures for worship, one of the things we have to do is we have to realize that we're getting indirect glimpses into a very present reality. Psalm 100. This is the reason I like Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is the closest thing to an instruction manual that you're going to get for, for, for worship in the scriptures. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, here's how we do it a little bit together. Without being you know, religious or heavy-handed either. Let's read it together. <clears throat> shout, for Lord, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. And come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues in all generations. Lord, would you, would you deliver us into a song of the reality of the Father, I ask that you would that you would baptize us again in the rivers and the fountains of worship. God, I ask that you would allow our eyes, and the eyes of our understanding, and the eyes of our heart to connect with you, to see you, who you are, so that we can respond to you in worship. Amen. 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 We're just going to take this verse by verse. Some of this is going to be a little bit of review for some people. I love how this psalm begins. It begins with shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, and worship the Lord with gladness. Very first verse, shout for joy to the Lord. You know, you know one of one of the, one of the things that's um, most absent in, in most of our church experience? It's verse 1. 
shout for joy to the Lord on the earth. Uh, I, I would like to suggest something here. See, here's the deal. In biblical worship, when the congregation and the community of God comes together, so shouting isn't just permissible. It's actually a command. It isn't just permissible. It's actually a command. See, there's, there is a mindset that has been propagated in the church, and the mindset works like this. It's like, well, when we get around God, we need to be reverent, and reverence equals being quiet, subdued, and in your seat. Don't move, don't talk, don't touch. You might have a you grew up that way, it's like, quiet. You know, here's the deal. Reverence is good, but reverence doesn't equal low ball necessarily. So here's the deal. In the scriptures, shouting isn't just permissible, it's actually a command. And one of the things that we do when we propagate the mindset of don't move around too much, don't fidget too much, kids be quiet, we're at church, be reverent. One of the things that we actually end up doing is we end up domesticating the volume and the passion right out of worship. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like animals, you know? We take those animals and bring them in and train them, and the next thing you know, they're not necessarily an animal anymore. They're, they're some domesticated version of the original. And that's what happens when we, when we remove the component of exuberant joy from worship. It's not just permissible, it's actually a command. And, um, and here's, here's, what, here's, what, um, here's why people are so freaked out about it exuberant joy in worship. And here's why we, we don't often encounter exuberant joy in shouting in worship. It's because at a certain level, we've been taught, especially in the church, to mistrust our emotions. Y'all heard some of this? Yeah. You, know, you can't trust your emotions. Your emotions will what? Deceive you. Right? Has anybody heard that? Is it just me? Yeah. Don't trust your emotions because your emotions will deceive you. Here's what, here's what that argument is really saying. Don't trust your emotions because your emotions will deceive you. Trust your what? Trust your mind. Trust your intellect. Trust your intellect. How many of you realize that your intellect can deceive you? I love what Pastor Ray says. Pastor Ray says, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that every word in the Bible is true. What I don't trust is my ability to understand everything in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? I trust that the Bible is true. I don't understand. I don't trust my ability to understand everything that's in the Scripture. So here's the deal. Not only can your emotions leave you in a, in, a, in a significantly compromised situation, but let's not deceive ourselves. Your intellect can as well. Got another question for you guys. Who is it that made your mind and your intellect? and your body. The same God. See, here's the deal. What the psalmist is writing to us is that worship, from a biblical standpoint, should be, should be, it should flow from fountains of joy, and it should affect our emotions. Worship should be a whole body experience. It should be, it should be an experience of the mind. It should be an experience of my emotions coming through my body. There should be agreement in mind, heart, and body when we come before the to the extent that there becomes disagreement, and I'll show you this later, to the extent that there is disagreement between mind, heart, and body in worship, is, is it leaves open doors for various kinds of deception. We'll get into that a little bit later. So your God made the whole person, and it's the whole person who should respond in worship. Say something else about emotion. You know, we've been taught to you know, be wary of emotionalism. 
Yeah, I know she wasn't going to be bad. It can be used in nuclear if you want. It can be strings of broken nuclear issues that people can be used in nuclear issues. That's that's really awful. I was telling you guys the other day, one of the things I hate most in life is to be manipulated. I don't know if you to be manipulated. We try to be hype free and nuclear issue free here and there. But at the same time, I would like to say that, that we, have, we have been over potty trained when it comes to emotions. And, and we've, become, we've become overly skeptical when it comes to emotions because it's actually the emotional worshiper who is oftentimes most near to the Lord and most near to him in their whole life. And wow, that's a pretty bold statement for me. There's a couple people in the New Testament I always like to point to. Uh, and we even have a song about it here today. There, there's John at his breast and there's Mary at his feet. Y'all remember those characters? Yeah, see, what, what would cause Mary to bring $40,000 of perfume and pour it out on the Lord? See, her heart was overcome. She pours out $40,000 of perfume on the Lord. And when she does that, some of his own disciples, namely Judas, said, Man, we shouldn't be doing this. We could use this for the poor. And what does Jesus do? I love it. I love the version in John. Jesus says, What? Leave her alone. See, the defense of God is among the emotional worship. See, anybody in here need God to defend them? See, one of the ways that we one of the ways that we put ourselves in a position to be, to be defended by God is when we're a wholehearted, whole body person before the Lord. And we say, God, I hold nothing back from you. Not even my precious perfume, not even the stuff that's worth 40 grand. I pour it out on you. And even if it makes and if it makes everyone else around me uncomfortable, at that point, Jesus steps in and says, well, you know, leave her alone. Leave him alone. John on his breast. Jesus is reclining with his disciples. And, and where is John? Everyone else is laying around the table. John is laying on Jesus. No joke. He's, he says he's laying on his chest. Back then, they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have dinner at, at tables that were up like us with you know, chairs like this. They reclined and they sort of laid around you know, laid around the dinner table. And where's John? He's not just close to Jesus. He's laying all out of Jesus. I love that. I love that. There's something kind of cool about John and Mary. Who was it that was with Jesus when he was crucified on his last day? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, pouring out $40,000 on Jesus. And John, the beloved disciple. The rest of the guys did what? They scattered. Just like the hash browns at Waffle House. They, they just scattered. <laughs> so here's the deal. See, your emotions were given to you by God. And there, there's a certain point at which at which we need to we need to just unbutton a few, a few of our buttons. Get over ourselves just a little bit and allow there to be a little bit of agreement in our body, in our mind, in our heart. You know? God is good and God is great. It's not merely an intellectual concept. It's meant to affect us. When God is good and God is great, it begins to affect us beyond our mental capacity to understand it. When it begins to affect my heart, when I begin to respond to Him, even with my body, even by being loud, when I begin to respond to Him in that way, Man, at that point, Jesus becomes very much more present in our lives. He becomes, he becomes our friend. It's our attractiveness. We're not earning anything. It's just 
This is something that happens when the dream happens in our bodies. Yes, a shout for joy to the Lord. If you've got a, a pen or a pencil with you, why don't you just underline that word joy? <laughs> shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. I want you to circle that word gladness. And come before him with joyful songs. I want you to circle that word joy. So here's the deal. No less than three times in the first two verses. Joy and gladness are presented as ways to come before God. One of the things that, uh, if you read the Psalms from beginning to end, one of the, one of the really great things about the Psalms, it's a great comfort to me, um, is the fact that throughout the Psalms, you will find every single human emotion. Okay, you'll find you'll find great joy, you'll find great sadness, you'll find great pain, you'll find uh, you'll find anger, you'll find uh, repentance. You'll find, you'll find everything. If you've experienced it as a person, you'll find it within the book of Psalms. But one of the things, which is great, what that really says to us is that, that God, God is in the people, and, and even our ruined hearts don't keep us from being able to relate to Him. That's part of the good news of the Psalms. But one of the things that, that comes over and over again in the Psalms, and one of the things that we see here this morning is that when we come before God, there, is, there should be a certain aspect of joy that accompanies coming before God. Like coming before God shouldn't be drudgery and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be fearful. It should actually be uh, it should it should be the thing that's full of joy. It should be full of joy and full of gladness. And um, and this is often the part that sometimes the most difficult. How many how many people in here have ever had problems? I mean anybody here currently having problems? Like I've just had the week from the pits, you know? That's not a joke. I mean I've just it's been really terrific. And um, and so so when we come together, we, we get a, we get a chance to, to decide. We get a chance to decide what rules my life. Is it life situations that rule my life, or is it the good and great God that I've come to serve? You know, where where does my fountains where where are they where are they springing from? Where are they drawing from? Are my fountains coming from my life situations, or are my fountains coming from a good and gracious God? As we sang this morning, works all things for my good. James chapter 1, he says something that's really challenging. He says this. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Anybody ever read that? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Here's the deal. I, I love that verse because it gives us insight into what biblical joy is actually like. And it gives us insight into the fact that biblical joy is always a possibility no matter what the situations are for today. See, James says this. He says, consider it. I don't have a slide. I'm sorry. You can look it up. James chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. There you go. Um, homework. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. See, what, what James is getting at is that joy is an actual possibility no matter life circumstances. And there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is, is, is a biblical reality that sets outside of circumstances. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's possible at any time. Happiness is directly connected, is directly connected to my circumstances. My circumstances determine my happiness. Joy supersedes circumstances, 
and is a, is, a very, is a viable possibility regardless of my current circumstances. And James gives us insight on in how to move into biblical joy. It's the first word. Consider it pure joy. See, the battle for joy begins in the mind. The battle for joy begins in the mind, and it begins to work through the heart. When I, when I begin, like I've had a really terrific week, like I was telling you. When I begin to take my terrific week and uh, allow it to determine my the outcomes, I, I actually begin to move away from the possibilities of biblical joy. But when I when I take my when I take my terrific week, which has actually been not that great, when I take my my less than great week and I hold it before God and I begin to say, God, in spite of this, because I know that you're good, I'm going to choose joy in every situation. It may not even feel like it right now. It may not even feel like it tomorrow. It may not even feel like it on Tuesday or Wednesday. But eventually what I'm doing, I am connecting myself with an eternal reality because God is, is the source of joy. I'm beginning to connect myself with an eternal reality and joy. I'm, I'm actually making mental pathways, if you want to think of it that way, mental pathways so that kingdom joy can be poured into Some of you might be thinking, well, I've tried that for a month and it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work after a month because you spent the last 29 years building dams against biblical joy that can flow in all circumstances. That was the hard way to say. And James gives us insight. He says, consider your joy. Joy is a choice and it starts in the heart. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And this is a big thing here as well, to the Lord. See, I worship on Sunday mornings. I worship when you're at home alone. I worship when we're just hanging out with one friend. Our worship is always directed to the Lord. It's always direction. If it's not to the Lord, then it's actually not worship. Shout for joy to the Lord. And this is a really huge key because, for the most part, because of because of the way uh, because of the way church has been assembled in the last 40 or 50 years, especially in America, this is this is less um, this is less noticeable as I travel across the globe. This is less noticeable in other areas of the, of the world. It's more noticeable here because we are a consumerist society. I think I'm not consuming. I'm not consuming this little bit. You know, you've been to Walmart too many times, not consumers. It's one of the things God's beginning to work out with us. But because we are consumerist culture, because we are a consumerist society, one of the things that happens is we can come together in the congregation. We can come and be with our very best friends on the planet. And when we begin to turn our heart to God, we can we can stop short sometimes of actually making worship and making for joy to the Lord. And what, what ends up happening is Rather than being directed to the Lord, it begins to be directed by evaluation. Well, you know, I don't like those songs. The guitars were too loud. Some other person might say, well, the guitars are actually not loud enough. That, that would be me most of the time. I'm like, let's turn the guitars up, you know? And so what ends up happening is we come together for a worship experience, but the worship experience gets sidetracked by evaluation. I don't like the songs. The guitars are too loud. Another person says, well, the guitars are we're near loud enough. This is the point altogether. It's, it's actually not about what you want. It's actually not even about what I want. The essence of biblical worship is 
what is evil. See, the essence of biblical worship is when we begin to set our heart toward what does God want, and when we begin to set our heart, our minds, and our bodies toward what is His, what is His preference, that's when we begin to move into, into real and actual worship. What is His preference? What honors Him? What honors Him? Now, worship is always about Him. It's the essence of the worshiping heart. It's when we order our lives our practice around his presence. <coughs> you can pretty much, you know, just look at verse one and get the whole message. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Who should worship? All the earth. Who should worship all the earth? It's, the, it's what we were talking about in the very beginning. It's the, it's, the, it's the natural outcome of seeing Him. It's the natural outcome of responding to Him. Who, who should respond to God? Well, the whole earth. Even people who don't even know Him, they, they should worship God. Even, even people who, 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 haven't even, who haven't even made Jesus the Lord of their life yet, it's still upon them to be people who eventually find out, see, and worship Him. Who should worship the Lord? All the earth. I kind of like that because it makes worship about a community. A lot of times we get we get hooked into uh, you know me and Jesus and we have to be It's just maybe not a bigger lie in the world. You need the people who are sitting next to you right now, and and we even need that in worship. We should worship all the earth. See, worship is a communal thing. It's one of the things, one of the reasons that worship is such a treasure in this house, one of the reasons we value it so much, is it's because it's the one time in the meeting that we can all get together. You know? See, so much, so much of our gatherings are, are what one person does alone. You know? Right now, you guys are kind of semi static and listening to hope, and I'm the guy with the little fancy little goodness for his and, and there, there is some value in this because we, you know, there, there is some value in teaching. I mean, I'm not trying to say that. But what I am saying is this. If church only becomes about what people sit quietly in chairs and gather from one or two people, then we've missed a major point. And one of the major points is what can we do together? One of the reasons we value worship so much around here. Worship is, is one of the things that we can all do together. Who should worship the Lord? All the earth should worship the Lord. I want to, I want to show you a, a, a scripture out of Romans chapter 1. This is one of my favorite scriptures. <clears throat> Even though it starts off in the Bible. Okay? No, wrath of God and all that stuff. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about them. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. We should worship the Lord all the earth. Why? Because God's making it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What's Paul saying? He's saying that when you walk outside and when the sun is shining bright and you're out in <coughs> nature, you're out, you know, when you take a canoe ride with Richard, 
like I did what, <coughs> March we did Richard and I took a canoe ride last March and put in at the spillway below the dam. You know that giant tube that's spillway? Okay, you know how most of the time there's hardly any water coming out of it? Richard and I put our canoe in and the entire thing is has water coming out of it. We, we, we put it down here, baby. We didn't make an Olympic sport of it. <laughs> we, put, we put in our canoe there, and, and it was cold. It was like 30 degrees that morning. And we went from the spillway to my house out on Roachville, which is 13 miles away. It took us only an hour and a half. I don't think we even paddled. Richard was just at the back steering. While we were out there, we saw a couple eagles. We, we saw seven hawks. We saw three coyotes. We saw some muskrats. We saw some river otters. We saw too many ducks to even count. It was, it was transcendent. Uh, I, think, I think Hannah even made a trip on something like that. It was transcendent. Maybe one of the best days of my year last year. When you take a trip down Green River and you see two hawks, two eagles, seven hawks, three coyotes, a couple muskrats, and too many ducks to count, you know what's really being said? There's a God in heaven. Yeah, it's that. It's that his divine nature and his eternal power, they're clearly seen because of what's being made. And no one's without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they either glorified him, undermine that if you dare. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Underline that. Gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What's the point? The point is, when we see God, even, even people who know God imperfectly, who, who only have captured some, uh, some aspect of who God is from, from nature, even people who, whose revelation of who God is only comes from nature, people who, who refuse to give thanks to God and people who refuse to glorify Him eventually become darkened. Let me say it another way. People who worship are insulated toward deception. This is powerful. If you want, anybody in here looking for more ways to be deceived? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Anyone who's looking for a way uh, to insulate their lives from deception, the clearest thing that I can see in Scripture is in this passage right here. Worship, being able to glorify God and being able to give Him thanks is actually like putting insulation around your mind and around your heart. And it, and it keeps, and it keeps uh, darkness and ultimately it keeps deception from being able to grab root in there. I mean, that's something you can live your life on. I'm telling you right now. Kind of makes sense though, right? What's more true than the greatness of God? What's more true than, than, than God is great? Nothing, right? Well, if he is great, what makes more sense than worship? So here's the deal. Worship is aligning ourselves with ultimate truth. And if we fail to align ourselves with ultimate truth, how is it that the other avenues of truth will ever be open to us? God is great. If I fail to, if I fail to acknowledge God is great, if I fail to glorify and, and begin to open my heart of gratitude toward his greatness, what I'm actually doing is I'm darkening myself to the initial and perhaps most foundational truth that there is for human beings anyway. At that point, I not only darken myself to that truth, but I begin to darken myself to any truth anywhere in the This is why worship is so important. So shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
we should worship all the earth. Verse 2, and worship the Lord with gladness. And come before him with joyful songs. Worship the Lord with gladness. And come before him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful songs. You see, here's the deal. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. I think most of us knew that, right? Most of us could probably go to Galatians and find it. Some of us probably can memorize that in Sunday school at some point. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You know what I found out? Here's what I found. I found that Sirius is not a fruit of the Spirit. I read the list twice in the school, and I found out that Sirius is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's actually a better word than you think. foundation is like that. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray. Honor as it is in heaven. Honor as it is in heaven. Imagine this. Any tears in heaven? Any, any sorrow or pain in heaven? Okay, so here's the deal. It's one of the reasons why we need to begin to align in ourselves and giving ourselves an opportunity to experience kingdom joy. A worship should be a fountain of joy. And I'm not talking about fake joy. I'm not talking about contrived happiness. Really just fake. <coughs> that's, that's awful. That's awful. But I'm talking about honor as it is in heaven. The other thing about verse number two worship the Lord with gladness. Some of you guys probably have translations that say serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. See, that, that word there uh, for worship the Lord with gladness, that word can also be translated as serve the Lord with gladness. This is important because all too often we, we connect worship with music, right? If I begin to talk about worship, especially around here, most of us we just do math and don't want music. Yeah. See, here's the Beginning to just be the kind of person who, who serves the Lord in, in all things is worship. See, worship isn't just what we sing on, for 35 minutes on Sunday morning. Worship is the manner in which I conduct my affairs every day. And here's the good news. You can, the way you live your life, all of it can be worship. Like, even, even going to the boring job can be worship. Serve or that, that, that word serve, one, one of the pictures there is it's, 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 it's minister and it's, and it's service. Kind of tied together. And when I think about that, the thing I like to connect it to is, is going to a restaurant and having a really good way. Anybody ever been in here ever been to a really nice restaurant and put a really weight on you? Yeah. But is there anything better? Yeah, Richard and I, we took a trip to Peru last year and um, we were ministering uh, in the, uh, just, you know, Lima, Peru is, is really cool, but there is one really, 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 and the Peruvians kept telling us how expensive this restaurant was. There's one really fantastically expensive restaurant, and it sets out on the ocean, out on this boardwalk. So if you can imagine this giant boardwalk, way out on the ocean, there's guys surfing everywhere, and there's this restaurant that's built up there. And when I began to hear about how expensive it was, I told Richard, we're going. We don't. <laughs> and and we, have, we have a missionary from here who lives in Lima, and she says, well, aren't you concerned about how expensive it is? I said, I'm not concerned at all. 
Bless me. Come on. I want to take you out. You're here. You're, you're pouring your life out. You're, you're, you're laying your life down for the gospel. I, I don't care if it's a million dollars. We're gone. <laughs> so me and Richard and Pam and, and two other uh, two other uh, dear friends from uh, Chile, they, uh, they met us. And we go to this restaurant. And meet us at the door. We've got the tuxedos on. And uh, the maitre d' has, has this, I don't know, this amazing jacket. And, and they're opening, you can't even go to the bathroom <laughs> we have dinner. Richard orders this fish, and the, and it was, the presentation was amazing. The, the fish came in this big like clay pot that was in the shape of a fish. Okay? <laughs> so it was the whole fish. Richard didn't get fish. He had the whole fish, like head, fins, tails, eyeballs, and all. Okay, they bring it out. It's, packed, it's cooked in salt. It's been packed in salt and baked. Okay. But the waiter brings it out, and, and Richard doesn't take the, the salt off. No, the waiter takes the salt off. Then the waiter, before he gives it to Richard, goes and you know grabs the bones out, sets it before We have dinner. It's unbelievably good, unbelievably amazing. We're looking at the Pacific Ocean. God is with us. Some really great friends. We're being waited on by community. And between uh, the main course and and dessert, this other guy who's I think this is the only thing he did. His only job was to come in this little scraper thing and scrape the whole crumbs off of our table before we had dessert. You know? <laughs> I've never seen that before. I was like, and to my knowledge, that's the only thing he did. And, and I got to know this. I'm sitting at the table with the motion. I went over to Richard and the camera and said, I realized there's four people assigned to our table. Four people assigned to our every meeting. Making sure. What's the point? There's something about worship that it's like that. It's, it, there's something about worship that's like that. When we begin to turn our heart to God and say, God, what is it that you desire? What is it that, what's your preference? That's, that's the nature and the essence of worship. And that kind of heart, that kind of heart can permeate every single affair that you and I work in Monday through Saturday. Even Sunday. You know? I love, what, I love what I love what Glenn says about says about his job. He says it's the petri dish. He says if it won't grow there, it won't grow anywhere. But if it does grow there, it will grow anywhere. Come on, come on. See, yeah, it's about living my life for His preference. say, well, my worship is the 35 minutes I sing with Jesus on Sunday, or my worship is when I stand real still and listen to everyone sing. When you divide actual worship out from my actual everyday life, one of the things that will eventually happen is it will kill my worship. Even the 35 minutes I have left. Mm-hmm. When it isn't agreed, oh, so when worship isn't, isn't, when worship isn't just, if worship remains only what I do for 35 minutes on Sunday morning, eventually even that will happen. Because there isn't a need for it. Because it's impossible to be the kind of person who doesn't have Jesus' preference and his honor in mind Monday through Saturday. It's impossible to live, to live a life of 
completely unaware of his preference or his honor. And then on Sunday morning, be able to come in and respond with him. This is one of the things that I, I regularly do. If, if during uh, Sunday morning, if for a couple Sundays in a row, if I find that I'm struggling being able to connect with God, when we get together and we sing songs to him, if I find that I have a hard time connecting with him, if I find that I, uh, I'm, I'm really not, just if, if it feels like I'm just going through emotions, almost every time it's because I haven't been attentive to the ministry that is living every single day with it's impossible. Verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. He, it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. <coughs> know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. That word in verse 3, that word know, is the Hebrew word that uh, Y-A-V-A. And it means to know. But it means more than to know. It means to know by intimate experience. In Genesis, going on in Genesis, when, when Adam, by his wife, he says that Adam knew him. And then what happened? Had kids. This is the kind of knowing that's, that's talked about. Know, know by intimate contact that the Lord is God and is He who made us. We are His. We are His. There is people who sheep of His pasture. So one of, the, one of the other things that the scripture tells us is this. It tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Everybody knows that? Taste and see. No, friend in this verse three. Know by intimate encounter that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, it's it's impossible at a certain level to know that the Lord is good apart from experiencing the taste. There's something about tasting of His goodness that allows me to know. In the kingdom, in the kingdom, kingdom kind of knowledge comes from the experience of His goodness. Here's the deal. When I know that the Lord is God, I'm free not to have to be God. It's the beginning of mental health. When I know that the Lord is God, I'm free not to have to be God. I'm free to simply be His possession. Not just His possession, but His love and His treasure. Is he who made us, we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So here's the deal. Security. I love that verse. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See, security leads to the kind of life that will, that will put us into worship. How many of you believe that how many of you believe that there's sheep in God's pasture and he's going to lead you out to a barren field? I'm going to have to. See, that's not what he does. He leads us in the green pastures. He causes us to lie down by still waters. There's, there's something about his goodness, the experience of his goodness that positions me to be able to experience him and to know him. And in that knowing, be able to reflect his perfect. I'm going to talk to you about two things that kill worship. Okay? Right out of this, right out of this uh, 
risk two things that kill worship. The first thing that kills worship is an independent spirit. So here's the deal. It's really important for everybody in the room as we, as we progress in life through being worshipers. It's important for everyone in the room to know that he is God, that I am not, and that I belong to another. When we divorce ourselves from the reality that he is God, and I am not, and I, I am his possession, his treasure, and value of possession, when I divorce myself from that reality, I take on an independent spirit. So at that point, I become the master of my own domain. And at that point, I begin to execute life as I see fit. And when I begin to execute life as I see fit, I'm no longer aware or concerned with his preference or his honor. And at that point, I become divorced from worship. And when I become divorced from worship, what is wrong is done. I become an open target for darkness and deception. So one thing that will kill worship is an independent spirit. The second thing that will kill worship, we've already referenced it here just a second ago, is anxiety. So here's the deal. We are the sheep of his pasture. Like I've already said, how many of us believe that God will put a sheep in the pasture? Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Enter his, thank, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Here's the deal. In the kingdom of heaven, thanksgiving is the entry method into the presence of God. So you might feel like, and I know everybody in the room has these moments, but there are times when we feel like God is a million miles away. Anybody ever felt that? Like, I mean, like, I know that, that God, I know you're everywhere. I understand that, that theological concept, but it feels as though you're moving on to it. This course is good news. The good news is this. That thankfulness opens the door of His presence in the kingdom of heaven. Um, thankfulness is the password to His presence in the kingdom of heaven. I can put it that way. Uh, a lot of times God feels a million miles away. Let me put it this way. God is never... God's never further away than thankfulness. If I can say that. We can encounter his presence just by beginning to move in the greater realms of thankfulness. And here's the deal. It's not just thankfulness that's internalized, but it's thankfulness that's expressed. It's a huge, that's a, this is a huge thing. It's not just thankfulness that's internalized, but it's thankfulness that's expressed. It's that agreement thing. It's allowing it's allowing our mind, our bodies, and our emotions to fully agree and express it. Fully agree and express it. It's not just, it's not just, you know, it's not just saying, it's not just having thankful feelings. It's about, it's about expressing thankfulness somewhere. Um, here, here's one thing I've tried to do, just as a spiritual discipline in my life. Don't hear this as a rule for you. Some, some people in this room, this will just become another way for you. There's a, there's a way to work this into your life uh, in a way that wouldn't be religious or heavy. But for me, I try not to close my eyes before I go to bed without thanking the Lord for at least one day. Every single day. I just, I just felt like, gosh, I'm going to work that in my life. I'm going to work a consistent, consistent measure of gratitude in my life. And so even, a lot of times I'll just be lying in my bed and pulling up that heavy down comforter and I'm getting ready to put my light off. 
play my scrabble for a few minutes real quick with my iPhone to make sure that I'm winning. Before I click it off and set the alarm, I, I at least begin to just try to meditate on the goodness of God from that day. I, I, try, I try to look for the goodness of God even in that day, even in the most difficult days. God, I know you have. Allow me to be aware of it. And after I'm aware of it, I, I, a lot of times I'll just, I, I want to speak it back to him and I'll just say, and sometimes it's very simple, I'll just say, God, I'm thanks, thank you. Sometimes it goes much deeper than that, but sometimes it's just like, God, thank you. So thankfulness is the pastor in the kingdom of God. Pastor to his presence. He's never further away than that. We've already talked about this book. It's in verse 3. To know, to know is yada, y-a-d-a. Okay, that's what it's translated. It looks a little different in Hebrew, but I don't have the Hebrew keyboard, so I couldn't produce it. But the word thanks here in verse 4 looks like this. What's the difference? There's an egg chomping in there. What does it mean? What does all that mean? What it means is thanks. The word, the word for give thanks there in verse 4. That word thanks or thanksgiving, its root word is in what? Not out. To know. This is really powerful. Okay. There's two different, there's two different words here. Yadah means to know by experience. And then Yadah means thanks. Means to, I love that. I love this means too. It means to throw. It means to cast, confess. It means to give thanks. It means to glorify. This is really important. It's important because to the extent that we know God by intimate experience, that's the extent to which we are able to give thanks. messages inside the message. To the extent that we know God by intimate experience is the extent to which we're able to give thanks. Not only that, but the person I, I, I'll make a bold statement here but the person who does not give thanks is the person who actually doesn't know God by intimate experience. We can run a little barometer in our lives. I like, I like barometers. I like, I like little guideposts. The barometer goes like this. What is my thankfulness level? Not just my internalized thankfulness level, but what is my express thankfulness level currently operating in my life? Because that's the extent to which I'm having intimate contact with God and know Him. The person who doesn't get thanks is the person who actually doesn't know God. Verse 5, For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. That little mantra is all over the scriptures. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Verse 5 is the why. Verse 5 is the why. Why do we worship? Why do we want to shout for joy? Why is it that all the earth should worship? Why is it that, that our worship should be fundamentally a worship that's full of gladness, joyful songs, joy in general? Why? Well, why is verse 5? Because the Lord is good. When we encounter His goodness, we encounter the soil that the worship grows up. Ver I, I can say it like this, but if I can. Verse 3 is God is great. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, we are His. Who is great? The watch or the watchmaker? 
obviously the watchmaker. Who is greater, the person or the God who made the person? God who made the person. It's obvious. Verse 3 is God is great. It's also a reason why to worship God. But the, but the, but the really, and the essence of worship for me is verse 5. Because the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His, or His mercies endure forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. There, there is a kind of worship that comes from, uh, from, from the revelation that God is great. And, and that's good. But, but, the, but the, the revelation that will really move your heart and that will really change your life is when you encounter that God is good. God is not just great. He is actually good. It's one of the, it's one of the tremendous revelations of the scripture and it's one of the tremendous revelations that must happen to each of us as we begin to follow Jesus. It, it, we, we, can't just, we can't just operate off of a system of God is great. We have to begin to encounter Him and, and, and get on the inside and have our entire spirits connected to the fact that God is really good. I can tell stories for the next hour about how I live God is. I mean, goodness gracious. Matt, your son was born deaf and we pray for him four or five times, and now he hears perfectly. God is beautiful. I mean, we can do that. We can do that all along. You know, that's the, that's the part that releases joyous worship. Where, where does where does the joy in worship come from? The joy in worship comes from God is Change my life. My, my family's life. 
but it, but it changes me because it's my father's approval over my life's ambition. When I come into contact with that, I'm like, man, God is good. He sees me, he knows me, and he approves of me. And the natural response out of that is, oh man, God, you're fantastic. Game all morning. If we wanted to, we could get a microphone out and we could go by every single person that we would tell them. Ten stories that happened this week about how God intervened, how God chose mercy, about how God bailed you out of something. And I've made like, I don't know about you guys, but I've made like really stupid decisions in my life. Didn't realize they were stupid until it was too late. You know when you like done that? And then had God completely bail you out. Like not cost me anything. Not even, not even shred my reputation, but I can tell you something about it. Why? Because God is good. I'm telling you right now, God is good. That's the foundation for joy and worship. and the singers will join in unison as with one voice to give praise and to give thanks. See how this goes every time? See, you cannot disconnect the praise from the thanksgiving. They give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, 
cymbals, and the other instruments, and they raise their voices and praise the Lord, and they sang, He is good, His love endures forever. And the temple of the Lord was filled with fire. Come on, that's what I'm going for. One last thing I'm going to do is on the Lord. Um, on several occasions, even here at this place, there's been a cloud coming the room. Some of you have seen it. Maybe most of you have. But a lot of times during worship, in the room, things get really foggy and the world just comes and out. It's happening here. How many of you guys heard of three-part harmony this morning? Is that the only one? Okay, right You did too? How many of you know that there was only two people singing? How many of you know you can't have three-part harmony with two people singing? I'm standing up here and I'm, I was telling Dick this morning, we have three-part harmony in the room. How do you have three-part harmony in the room? Heaven is singing. Just living in it. Well, I'm glad I'm not crazy. We're the crazy. Alright. Cool. You come to the worship band. Come on up. Here's what we're going to do. This week and for the next four weeks, the ministry time. Is it, uh, is it the ministry team coming forward? The ministry time is us standing and blessing the Lord. Is that okay? Amen. Why don't we stand up? And uh, we're just going to uh, go for it for a few minutes. That's okay. I'm sorry, sorry. I've ruined your life. Here you go. I don't know how you do that. Sorry, You can't play. You can't. You can't. Okay, okay. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to. The ministry today and, and for the next four weeks is, is going to be about turning our hearts to God. Uh, is anybody in the room? Uh, is anybody in the room connected with the fact that God's good? Okay, that, that's going to be our meditation point before we get into this. Okay, um, why don't we do this? Why don't we begin to just uh, let's begin to just if you need to, if you need to, close your eyes. If you don't, that's fine too. But I want everybody in the room to just begin to get connected with the actual goodness of God toward you in your own life. Whenever the last time God was like tremendously good to you. It might, it might, uh, it might have been this, like this week for me or it might have been some other time. But I want you to just get connected with the fact that God's been tremendously good to you. Alright? Everybody get that? Yeah.